This podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. For more information, go to pokecastersnetwork.com. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this single segment episode, I team up with Anne from PP Podcast to talk about the live versions of six Pokemon songs. Our selections include performances from an Australian TV show, New York City, and a hockey arena. If you want to take a listen, links to some of them can be found in the episode description. If you have any suggestions for a future live music discussion, be sure to let us know at pokepress at gmail.com. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PV Podcast. And in a break between the fifth and sixth generation of Pokemon movies, we're doing a special musical discussion on live Pokemon music. Specifically, we're talking about live versions of vocal Pokemon songs. Now, we're not really considering like the Pokemon Live stage show or anything from like Symphonic Evolutions. What we're talking about here mostly are things that have been used as like uh, on a movie soundtrack or something like that. And then the artist themselves has done a live rendition of it in one form or another. So Anne and I, for this discussion, have each picked out three songs. Um, the three I picked out, I picked out a live live versions of Don't See You Love Me by M2M, Flying Without Wings by Westlife, and Brother My Brother by Blessed Union of Souls. And why don't you tell the folks home the three ones you picked out? Um, I picked Chisaki Mono by Asuka Hayashi, and Egao by Ikimono Gakari, and Dreams by Alicia Antonio, or just Alicia, as she was known at the time. All right, well, the way this is going to go about is that we've decided that we're going to alternate songs. I'm going to go first. So the first song I picked out, this is a live version of Don't Say You Love Me by M2M. Of course, that's originally from Pokemon, the first movie, uh, heavily featured. Not technically the main ending theme song, but uh, featured in the credits. There's a music video for it, of course. This is the only one of mine that I have a physical copy of. It's on this thing called More Music Live from the Panel. This is referring to a show on, let's see, uh, Australia's Network 10, I believe, uh, that ran in the late 90s and early 2000s. And uh, it was sort of... Maybe across, it was, it was an evening show, but it was, I guess the biggest analogy I could come up with here would be like a daytime talk show, like The View, or Ellen, maybe, um, but with a, a panel of, of folks on the show, and they had musical guests, including, of course, M2M at some point. Now, the actual recording, you might have heard it back on uh, PIRN back in the day, but... Um, it's it's pretty hard to find. I didn't find it uploaded officially or otherwise to YouTube. However, for a point of reference, if you want to hear this, it's very similar to some of the acoustic versions that M2M has done of Don't Say You Love Me. And there's a, there is a commercially released one of that, which actually, kind of a little bit of news here on that, I just was browsing through iTunes uh, a day or two ago, and I noticed that there is sort of a an acoustic-slash-unplugged collection of M2M songs that recently got put on there. 
and it's probably on most of the other music services, and it has the acoustic version of Don't She Love Me. Uh, I kind of joked, it's almost as if Warner Music somehow got the uh, the feeling that something big was uh, coming up in the Pokemon uh, sphere that would make people maybe look out for that one. But that is, uh, well, it is not the same recording as what we're going to talk about here. Uh, it is pretty much, instrumentation-wise, uh, the same version of it. But anyway, as for, uh, I talked a little about the, the panel TV show, but as far as when this was recorded, it must have been late 99 or early 2000, because the album has a copyright date of 2000, so it must be sometime up through then. But um, rather than like the full instrumentation you might be aware of from the from the album cut, um, either on Shades of Purple or the Pokemon, the first movie soundtrack, or the single, or whatever, uh, this is... As I said, it's an acoustic version. Uh, it's uh, Marianne and Marit on um, uh, guitars and the like. And uh, it gives the song a very different feel, something a little more less bold, and I, I would say a bit more intimate. Uh, and do you kind of agree with that? You did listen to a, an acoustic version of the song. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And I would say, that I like as much as I like the recorded version on the single like they're they have a very aspirated quality to their voice when they're trying to be the pop poppy sound. So hearing this acoustic version, I was really able to appreciate like how good of singers they actually are and their harmonies and their ability to blend together. So like I don't know, like that's true of many acoustic versions of songs in general, but yeah, I just got a better appreciation of their talent by hearing a stripped down version of this song. Yeah, I think one of the notable differences is actually on the the bridge they do. I'm not really sure exactly how to describe it. They it's like it's sort of a it's not quite an ooh type sound, but where they go, they do a little bit of of two part uh, vocals uh, there and go back and forth. But that's one of the sort of the key differences from the regular uh, album version in ter- terms of an, uh, as well as obviously the very much pared down uh, instrumentation there. Um, those were kind of the main thoughts I had in there. It's it's actually uh this acoustic version is is also available on like there's some like promotional CDs that have it on there. There's actually I have a have it on a 45 the the commercially released acoustic version, not the live version, uh where it's the B-side to Mirror Mirror, so you might find it on that single as well. So definitely gives a, a little bit of a different vibe there uh, with that. And, of course, it uses the—I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that the Pokemon version of this song has a, a one-line edit. But this, in this case, it uses the, the Kissin' Me uh, lyrics. But that, that's most of what I had to say. Uh, I guess we should probably comment a little bit on how this song has sort of aged a bit over time. It, it's still— I mean, it is, it's not, I'm going to say, the, the deepest song ever, but it's a, it is a, still a pretty fun song to listen to, Anne, don't you think? I agree. I like it a lot. And it's just, it's just very charming, this particular version of it. So uh, give that a shot, if you can, at some point. Okay, so Anne, uh, why don't you take the first of your songs there? Uh, tell us a little bit about it and like where it was recorded and things of that nature. Okay, so my first pick was Chisaki Mono, A Small Thing by Asuka Hayashi. Um, that was the ending theme song for the Pokemon Jirachi movie. We've already talked a lot about uh, Ms. Hayashi, so 
we'll skip that. But this particular performance uh, happened on November 17th, 2012 um, at the Center for Remembering and Sharing in NYC. Um, For those of you who don't know, which is probably all of us, the center is this uh, cultural space founded by a woman called Yasuko Kasaki. And in her words, their mission is to help people experience miracles. And and their idea is like when people come together and share arts and creative arts and their spiritual practices and get to know each other, they can get to know themselves and kind of foster love for each other and healing and all the good things. Um, so they do a lot of classes and exhibitions and other types of events. And this particular concert um, was a very small, like, looking at the the video, I don't think there were more than 75 people in that room, um, but a concert and there were dancers and other types of musicians. Um, and Asuka Hayashi was one of the performers and in fact did the first song of the night. So Google this on your own then because it needs to be seen because Asuka brought a prop. Um, when we covered this song several episodes ago, we mentioned that the narrative of the song is of a woman singing to a young baby only to reveal later that the child she's singing to is actually her younger self. So this song gets a whole nother layer of feels in this performance because Asuka brings out her own child and starts singing to her daughter and it's touching and then it's also humorous because there's a moment where the baby like doesn't want to behave and tries to swan dive out of her arms. <laughs> so. And, and like it's just a wonderful concert. It's so sweet. It's so well performed, and Asuka handling a misbehaving baby while also belting out some of those high notes is just proof that she is a pro. It's such a lovely concert. Yeah, that definitely takes talent. It's, it's a nice touch. I can't <laughs> imagine it was, you know, obviously this was in New York City, and she's from Japan, so probably had to fly from you know Tokyo to New York or something of that nature, you know. To, to actually make this happen. I would love to know how they selected her and all that that stuff. Um, would be some neat stuff there. But, you know, it, it fits the song. It, it works out really well. It's, it's, it's a neat little performance. I think that's kind of going to be a theme with our discussion here is that each of these performances is under a, a somewhat different set of circumstances, which is, you know, you have mm-hmm. that, that polished song, um, you know, the the studio version and then the live version, you know, if they try to get it as good as possible, you, you run into real world stuff there. You know, you have to sort of mm-hmm. account for those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This this version of the song, you know, it made me really appreciate that song. I really appreciate it a lot, both it and the uh, English make a wish a lot. And um Made me appreciate it even more. I actually teared up a little bit uh, over it. I'll, I'll admit that I'm a big enough man to admit that. Um, but uh, really glad. I, I may have run into this somewhere before, but I think um, uh, you pointing this out to me. I'm really glad I got a chance to take a, a look and a listen to this today. It's really, really good. Does it? Um, the instrumentation is obviously they don't they don't have an orchestra behind her. Obviously, they have a a piano and some other stuff. How, how does that kind of change the experience? Um, like, honestly, for my part, like, I don't think it was even like a piano piano. I think it was like an electric keyboard. So I didn't love that. But again, for what it was, like just being in a small room, and it's all about her voice. Like, I think it's okay. But you know, obviously, if you can get a proper piano, like that would have just made it. But... (laughs) 
And just want to say hi. We do have a, a person or two in the audience. Thank you very much for tuning in live. We always appreciate that. Hello. But uh, that's one of the reasons we started doing these live is we did want to get some feedback. If you have any questions about how these have been, I, I, I'm guessing, and that your uh, this song doesn't have any sort of commercial release. It's really just sort of a, a straight up performance. Yeah, um, the center itself uh, posted videos from that night. So you can find this and feel pretty good about its legality. Um, but yeah, it's not like released. Uh, I don't think you could buy it or anything. It wasn't streamed on television or anything. But you, it is on YouTube by the source, the OP. All right. Well, let's let's head back over to one of the songs I wanted to discuss. Obviously, didn't start as a Pokemon song, but um, at least I would say here in America, it's got a reputation uh, due to its association with the second movie. But Flying Without Wings is quite likely, almost certainly, I would say, actually, uh, Westlife's biggest hit ever. So they'd be pretty remiss if they didn't have some uh, extra versions and some live uh, versions of that. If you do a search on YouTube, you'll actually find quite a bit of stuff they've posted. Um, but the the one I specifically picked out uh, it actually was released. The audio was released commercially, although you're going to have trouble finding it now. I think it was a, it was on the old, uh, it was it was on iTunes when it was originally released. You could read it in the U.S., but between like the uh, 2009 DRM purge and various other things, I don't know that you you definitely can't get it in the U.S. and you might not be able to get it other places. But the actual performance is officially on YouTube, and you can totally check it out there. But this was recorded in 2004 in Stockholm, Sweden at a place called, uh, let's see, the Globe Arena. And uh, basically what this is, this is a venue that opened up in uh, 1989. And uh, it's used for concerts, and it notes on the Wikipedia page that I looked up that it's also used for hockey, which being a, uh, um, a Nordic country, I, that's not entirely surprising, I suppose. hope I used that term correctly. Um Scandinavian, I think, is the term I meant to use. But uh, in any case, well-known venue there, and uh, it uh, uses different instrumentation. Now, now, Flying Without Wings, the original studio version, is not the uh, most uh, super energetic track ever. It's not designed to be. It's not supposed to be. But this one, it does have a bit of a, a different feel to it. Um, so... First of all, they have a, a piano background, a very soft uh, piano background there. Uh, but they actually start doing, uh, repeatedly saying, uh, you know, fly, 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 flying without wings and all that stuff. Uh, a lot nicer than I did just there. And then they sort of go into the song and it, it feels a little bit slower. And, and actually, I, I think has a really interesting flow to it that's that's distinct from the original version. It's not... I don't know, I'm not sure I can come up with the exact words, but Anne, you did take a look at this. Uh, what, what did you think? Well, I agree. Like, I really love that beginning where it's just fly, fly. And, like, I just... They made a lot of choices throughout that performance of how to rearrange that track to highlight what they do well, like their harmonies and, you know, singing and, and like, have a connection with the audience, too. Like, they really made that song special, and I think on the specific clip you linked to me to, like their intro, they were talking about how they wanted to have the audience be able to sing along with them and kind of interact with them. And I think they really showcased the song in a way that allowed them to have that interaction. So it was, it really looked to be a special moment for everybody who was in that audience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is 
one of the, like I said, when this originally came out, I mean, Flying Without Wings is, if there's any Pokemon song, assuming you count this as one, that has more covers than the uh, original dub English Pokemon theme, it, it would be Flying Without Wings for a variety of <laughs> other reasons as well. Although I, I can't imagine having in Pokemon 2000 reduced its stature in any way. <laughs> Yeah, there's something really special about this this version that that Westlife does. You know, obviously there's the whole you know boy band type of um, a, a aesthetic or whatever you want to call it there that that gives these songs a fair bit of appeal, but it's well performed and uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, it sounds like from the the intro they gave that they also did some other versions of some of their other songs um, that they tweaked around a little bit for that that concert or performance or, or showing or whatever. So that might be worth checking out, even if you're just like a fan of the group and you somehow missed this. Um, the I should I should note that actually this um, when this was released as a digital single, it actually charted quite well uh, for the group and. Uh, uh, in the UK, and, and uh, uh, they're originally from Ireland, of course, but uh, did very well there in, in solo companies. And, and I did pick up one myself, but unfortunately, I think it it's not one you can really get easily now. But like I said, the live actual video is up on YouTube, and you can take a look at that. And uh, go ahead to your second song. Okay. It is Egao by Ikimono Gakari, also known as Smiling Face. This is their performance from a television show, a live television show called Ongaku no Hi, um, which translates to Music Day. Um, it was performed the same year the movie came out, I believe, June 23rd, 2013. Um, Ongaku no Hi is, is a broadcasting music program is a music program on the TBS uh, broadcasting channel, and they do a lot of super events where they broadcast like back-to-back music acts for hours, and big concerts, all sorts of things. Like, Ongakunohi is pretty darn famous, and it's entirely possible that I am conflating this particular uh, Ongakunohi performance with another one, but I'm pretty sure it's the June 23rd show. And yeah, it's just... They play live, the three, um, the two guitarists and the lead singer. They also have an extra bass player and uh, a drum kit behind them. And it's just, it's just such a happy song. I do believe this was one of the debuts. And it's just hard not to grin along with the lead singer. Seeing it live, like you just get this sense of joy and hope throughout the whole thing. It's really, it's just energetic and fun. Yeah, yeah. As you may recall, of course, we talked about this song during our last discussion on the Genesect movie. I assume then you said this came out in June of that year, so I guess there was some sort of promotional aspect to sort of build a little buzz, not only for the song. I, I don't know if they mentioned the movie anywhere in like subtitles on the screen or whatever or anything like that, but do you know if there was a, an intention for that? or? I imagine it would have gone hand in hand because usually... Like, not on this particular video, there wasn't a little placard saying so as the song was playing. And, like, for this concert, Ikimonogakari would have done a whole concert set, and this was the first song in the set. So it might not necessarily have had a place, but at some point in the show, they would have talked to the um, the hosts and promoted what their single was tied to. Because that's usually how the Japanese promotional circuit goes, is... They're very open about like, and this is tied to X movie or drama. So I'm I'm sure it was part of the movie promotion because Pokemon movies tend to premiere early July. 
Yeah, I was kind of curious. The instrumentation, I mean, sometimes there are limits on live, but and I do think the vocals were performed live. We always want to, I mean, sometimes uh, live, quote-unquote, live shows will involve uh, a person lip-syncing to a previous recording of themselves, but this does seem like it was performed live. But the instrumentation, very, very close to what we hear on the uh, thing. There are no particular liberties, it seems like. Is, is that your observation, or did I miss something? No, that's right. And it kind of goes along with when we were talking about Ikimonogakari, the band, is they came up kind of honing their skills as an acoustic act. Like, they don't have a lot of huge instrumentation on their CD. They record rather like they perform, which is mostly just the girl, their guitars, maybe a drum kit. So it's not a huge um, reimagining for this show of of the song, but it is hearing it live, I think, does bring a special energy that you don't always get from a recording, I think. Yeah, it's always a little bit different when you uh, hear it live, no matter, I mean, acts, like I said, they sometimes they have to flat out do uh, specific, uh, you know, technical things to sort of approximate uh, a sound or something like that. But this one was pretty close and obviously very close to the uh, release of the movie as well. So always always pretty neat uh, when you have uh, stuff like that. Okay. I'm not sure how much else I have to say. There's this in in part because that version was just so close to it. So um, Yeah, like the only thing is, again, with acoustic versions, sometimes you notice different parts more than others. I did notice the guitar solo a lot more in this performance just because – it wasn't overshadowed by everything else. <laughs> yeah, live mixing can be a little bit tricky, especially, you know, if you're doing yeah. this for television or, or radio or stuff like that for a concert. Um, always a few more variables in there, but it seems like they did a pretty good job. We don't seem to have too many of these types of shows in the U.S. They seem to be more popular in Europe and Asia and other stuff like that versus... Yeah. Um, not sure particularly why that is, but it does seem to be the, the, the case here in America. I'm not sure. Yeah, there probably is a whole other episode to have on that but if we did some research, but yep, for now. <laughs> I suppose so. Admittedly, Don't Say You Love Me doesn't have much relation to the plot of Pokemon the first movie. At best, you could relate it to Brock, but perhaps that's better left unexplored. Anyway, this debut single from M2M was likely intended to serve as more of a bridge that would raise awareness about the band for the movie audience and the movie for the music audience. If nothing else, it probably generated buzz for the movie in M2M's native Norway. As for the song itself, the assertive tone does wind up being a good fit for the franchise, representing the stand-up-for-yourself theme of the series without sounding excessively angry. This tone carries into the music video, whose drive-in theater setting gives it a more casual feel, and of course provides a convenient opportunity to work in scenes from the movie. Speaking of the movie, have you ever noticed that the names of the two featured Pokemon line up neatly with the name of the band? Nice bonus, I suppose, but it's obviously not the only reason they were selected. Anyway, do you have any thoughts about this song? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. Alright, well I've got one more song to talk about on my end, and this is a live version of Brother My Brother by Blessed Union of Souls. Of course, from that uh, dramatic, uh, you know, fight scene from Pokemon the first movie. Now I do kind of want to mention, um, some of you may know that I interviewed Elliot Sloan from Blessed Union of Souls, uh, it's about, what, 14 years now. 
this was back when I was in college. I happened to be very fortunate, and they did a um, show at the university I was at. So very lucky there, but I, I did watch the entire show, and actually I, I volunteered to do security a little bit to um, – <laughs> in part to give me a kind of an in on the interview. I will admit that. But I do know that their set list did not include this song at the time. Um, so I can only assume that as the Pokemon audience has grown up and stuff like that, that uh, they've sort of adapted it and gotten more requests for it and put it, uh, worked out whatever paperwork they needed to to get it into their live shows if there was anything of that nature. Because although uh, Elliot did work partially in the song. You know, it's also got, I think John Leffler did some work on that as well. In any event, this actual uh, recording comes from, let's see, it's called Never on Sunday is the the name of the venue. Now, we have to add a little asterisk to that. This is a restaurant slash nightclub slash something of that nature in the northeast suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio. You may remember that Blessing New Souls is a Cincinnati or Ohio-based band. Now, I did check on this, and it seems like this this was originally released in 2015, so I assume this recording is either from 2014 or 2015. But since then, it seems like the, I don't know if it's changed hands, but it's definitely changed names to something maybe a little more generic. Maybe it has a new owner, or they had to change the name for some particular reason. But in any case, if you go looking for it, like I said, it's in the northeast suburbs of Cincinnati. But, uh, you know, it's not a huge venue from what I can tell as a result. I'm not sure exactly how much seating there is. The recording doesn't seem to get a lot of crowd noise in there to to kind of begin with. I'm not sure exactly what their setup was. There's no video that I know of there. He does announce the song as they're starting it and stuff like that. I didn't hear like a huge bunch of cheers from the audience, but he did sort of uh, acknowledge, I, th- I guess at least one or two of the folks there, did kind of know where this song was from. It, it really is kind of like their third or fourth most popular song. And did you have, before we get into the sort of the meat of it, any, any other thoughts there? Well, I don't want to, I want you to have give your first impression of the recorded song. So I don't want to take over from that. Um, but I was able to listen into it. And I kind of agree that's that not a ton of crowd noise, but maybe that's why it was able to get such a good recording. Because for it being live, I was kind of impressed by the quality, I guess, of the track. Yeah, it, it, some of it depends on if the venue is wired for like recorded sound or is is just yeah. straight up regular old venue or stuff like that. So if it's if it's wired for that, that might be a good thing. Yeah, live recordings do vary substantially in quality. Um, to get the prerequisite in excess reference in here, there's a, the Live Baby Live album was recorded the same year as another one of my favorite live albums, uh, the Four on the Floor album by the uh, acapella group The Nylons. Both were recorded in 1991, but the uh, you know fidelity of the recording varies greatly because the NXS one was recorded in a large stadium outside London. And the other one, I guess, had a, a more uh, better setup and obviously with just four vocalists and a rhythm track, uh, probably a little bit easier there and sounds actually very close to, say, a studio album. So you're, you're going to get a, a mixture of things depending on the, the venue and all that stuff. But enough about that. Let's talk about the actual <laughs> sort of recording. Uh, if you've heard the the album version, it's in many ways very much the same. You know, they do have sort of a synth intro. It's different than the one that's used on the album track. But the vocals, I would say, uh, one of the things you'll find in live music, the vocals have a much more, 
I don't want to say more heartfelt. That's probably not the right word, but maybe a, a grittier feel to them um, than in the regular, more polished studio version. Uh, would you kind of agree with that, Anne? Yeah, li- live singing is definitely a different beast than recorded singing. I, I can definitely say that from personal experience. So yeah, you definitely, no matter how hard you try, you will never sound like you're recording. And the singers that can kind of use that as a strength are the ones that really succeed in live performance, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, even though Elliot was an adult when he recorded the original version, you know, it's been about 15 years between when the song was originally released and this. So I, I think it's maybe changed uh, on his side a little bit, too, as he as he's gotten older. Kind of the other thing I kind of wanted to mention, though, is um, from a sort of a, a technical standpoint, is that there is a uh, there, there are some extended passages. This version is longer than what's on the original album. I'm not sure. I mean, there's a pretty good, like, there's like a second bridge or like a breakdown section towards the end that has a, a, a maybe not the most amazing guitar solo ever, but it's actually, I'd say it's pretty decent. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that one? No, I like that. Um, I love the solo, and I just love this live mixing like I've always liked the track um as you know the studio recording as we get in the movie but there's something just so crisp and like proper rock band about this track recorded live I I may go out and buy this track when we're done recording here today like it's lovely yeah totally available not only on YouTube as a as an audio track, but also uh, on your music store of choice. You can buy it individually and stuff. So not sure exactly how much uh, effort they had to go through to get it uh, cleared and stuff like that, but I'm glad they did. I think, mm-hmm. honestly, having this tar- sort of uh, live version of it makes it feel a little, little not that it was illegitimate before, but it makes it feel a little more real and, and, and something of, uh, I guess, is the best word I can come up with there. Yeah, and... Like I've heard other songs by by this band, but this is kind of one song that seemed a little bit different in my mind. It didn't fit with the same like standing at the edge of the earth and all the other songs that I loved them for. But this this uh, performance of it seems a bit more in line with, you know, the image that I have of them from everything that wasn't their one Pokémon track. So it, it's kind of nice to hear and I do have to say, I guess this is both a good thing and a bad thing, but this I still feel like this song is relevant in today's day and age. Yeah, very much so. It's sad to say that it'll never go out of <laughs> out of relevance, probably. <laughs> Quite possibly not. All right, well, I think that's that kind of covers the, the Brother My Brother. Now, Anne, you had one more song there. Uh, why don't you tell us about it? Yes, uh, my lucky number three uh, came from Pokemon 2000. And for all of us who got the DVD of that movie, we would have seen this on the special features. It is Alicia and the song Dreams. And on that DVD, there was a whole feature about um, this young girl, Alicia Antonio, and her goal of becoming a singer. Uh, if, if, if you haven't seen the feature, as a summary, she, she was a young singer who entered a singing contest, at, which one thing led to another. Eventually, she scored the track Dreams on the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack. And Warner Brothers really heavily promoted her and kind of tried to build her up as a rising artist at the time. And the Pokemon company did the feature for the DVD around a, a young girl setting out to achieve her own dreams. And um, she's from San Antonio, Texas. Her full name is Alicia Antonio. 
And while I wouldn't say she got to like mega star status, she does seem to still be doing things in the music industry. Um, it's hard to find a, a presence on websites or social media for, her, but she you you can find music where she is credited on still as late as like 2014. So she's still working, living the dream. Good for her. I've tried to track her down myself. I think she's her name will occasionally come up. I think she had an album in like. I don't know. It was either 2002 or 2005 um, after kind of her, her big major label deal kind of evaporated and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, but so she keeps plugging along. I don't, don't know if she has maybe some other day job that pays the bills or something like that, but I'm glad she's still in the music. Uh, a little more about that special or that those special features. So if I recall correctly, uh, around the time the movie released, um, there was uh, a special on the WB network here in the States. I guess you might have been living in Canada at that point, so I'm not sure how it would have reached you um, if some other network <laughs> there had it. But they did a whole special, uh, half-hour special or whatever, on the movie talking about uh, mostly the a lot of the music stuff. They had uh, – you know, stuff with uh, there were a couple live performances in front of a crowd. It wasn't it wasn't broadcast live, but there were some live there was a live crowd performance, and uh, they also had some some brief snippets from like Weird Al Yankovic and uh, one or two other folks. I, I know they had some. Uh, I think Donna Summer was actually in front of the audience a little bit there, but uh, she also had had some uh, pre-recorded stuff that they had in there, and I think. I'm trying to remember. I think Denise Lara is also featured in one of the the segments there, the okay. one song. And I think she's there's some like I don't know if it's a country music person or something that's also like listens in and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know if Warner Brothers really did too many of these afterwards. They did something kind of similar for the Iron Giant back in '99 on Kids mm-hmm. WB. Um, which you can see in some of the special features on that. But I did kind of want to mention, uh, and by the way, you have to have the uh, like original release DVD to get these special features. They're not on any of the newer releases for you know licensing reasons and stuff of that nature. But yeah. kind of wanted to – sorry about that kind of wall of, of speech there. No, no. Um, I, I never got to see that whole thing, so good on <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they they really did that. Um, although I think we may be talking about in the in uh, not too long why it, maybe it hasn't happened too much since that at least that I know of. If anyone does, uh, let us know. But and uh, go ahead and whatever you were going to say next. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, so this was my third lucky number three pick, just because personally, like as a young person who wanted to be an, an entertainer and loved Pokemon, like this was it. Like, I think we all want that moment. This is Alicia's Pokemon League moment to stand on a big stage with a crowd screaming and and achieve the thing you set out to do. Uh, As for the performance itself, it's very similar to the CD recording. You can tell she's singing with a backup track. It's definitely mixed in with some pre-recorded vocals, but she is singing live and the vocals are um, a little more raw and less polished. But I really like it because... I'm I'm sure to be there and hear Donna Summer singing would have been fantastic. But there's something about hearing young singers, I think, where you can see that they are talented, but they have not logged as many hours performing in these large, in front of large crowds as, you know, some other grown adults might be. And it's like that beautiful mix of her kind of, you can see the fear in her eyes and hear it in her voice, but also the excitement and it, there's just something so very Pokemon about that. That sounds like Ash walking into his first league tournament. And I really love that performance for that. Like, I don't know if I would love 
this a live version of this song as much with Alicia in like her 20s with years of experience behind her. Maybe I would. I'm I'm sure if she was a great performer she could sell me on it, but like there there's something about this little girl who's like 13 was she at the time and kind of just stepping into this world and there are flaws but there's also just so much joy to be up there with people screaming at you. Uh <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's an interesting dynamic on the second movie soundtrack because, you know, the first movie, I'm not sure in terms of like when they were formed versus when they did a song for that. I think the oldest group might actually have been Blessed Union of Souls who had been around for four or five or six years. Most of the other ones were something like that. Yeah, relatively recent within the last two or three, maybe a little bit longer than that versus on the second movie. You have a couple, at least at the time, living legends. You know, you had Donna Summer, who obviously has since passed away. But you also had, you know, the B-52s, and you had Weird Al Yankovic, you know, some some really long-term big names that are, that are still relevant now for the most part. And, you know, maybe that was a little intimidating because I think they also had, uh, I know there are vocal performances by Dream Street doing They Don't Understand. And also, let's see, oh, uh, Youngstown and Nobody's Angel doing the Pokemon World from there. Uh, the the that last group there seems like they were the most quote unquote ready. I, I'm, we're not really sure. I, I suspect that they didn't have a ton of time to rehearse and prepare for this. And also, depending on how long it had been since they recorded the studio version and when they did the, this performance, might also have factored into some of that. I don't know. Part of me thinks that maybe this thing didn't go over quite as well as Warner Brothers had hoped. Um, and maybe I'm not sure, but. Uh, that's about what I have to say there. I'll agree that the she did she didn't look as super comfortable as some of the other folks there, but uh, or as some of. Uh, but you couldn't expect her to at that age either. So no, I mean performing. I mean, like I said, this wasn't as far as I know broadcast live, but in front of a live audience on national TV. That's that's intimidating, even more so than maybe a, a local show. And if you don't have the you know that that's can that can I guess kind of be a problem with some of these people who are found you know very close to the beginning of the career versus say a rock band that plays in clubs for years before they ever really get noticed and and that's yeah. that's worth noting here too. I, that's one thing I really liked about uh, the songs we discussed here is the circumstances are pretty much all at least somewhat different for these these six songs. Um, different um for the for the most part there at least four or five different cases i would say yeah you've got blessed union of souls like playing live in a small club and westlife in a in a huge arena you've got asuka hayashi with like a baby crawling all over her and and a, a young little girl just starting out for the first time yeah, yeah, really interesting stuff. And if we do another one of these i'm guessing we'll find uh, a few more things out there with some of these bands that are known, like, not just for Pokemon, like, say, Westlife or Blessed Union of Souls, when you hear a live version like this and it's a little bit altered or remastered or what the like, what strikes you most? Do, like, do you still feel like, oh, yeah, this is still my Pokemon song? Or do you view it in a slightly different way? Well, it's, it's interesting you bring up Flying Without Wings and Westlife. That's one of the more disputed ones, I suppose. Of of all the songs that are actually, like, in the movie proper, this, that one's in the end credits of the okay. second movie. That is an interesting setup there with Donna Summer, Weirdo Yankovic, and Westlife um, in that end credits sequence. 
Um, you know, because in Europe, that was a very high charting single, what, number one in several countries. In America, we didn't really see much any chart performance until the Ruben Stuttered version a few years later. I don't know. I, like I said, with that one in particular, it's hard for me to say, like, it would still be a relatively famous song if it hadn't been used in this in the second movie. Um, as far as, like, having an alternate version of it, I don't know how to really answer that question, to be honest, because, you know, that's the thing with these. I was just curious. <laughs> you know, the fact that it's still important to the group, I guess, means that we didn't harm it in any way, or I should say Pokemon <laughs> didn't harm it in any way, uh, harm its <laughs> reputation or anything like that. Because <laughs> um, you know, we certainly we certainly wouldn't want that. I don't know that that, that no. <laughs> is probably not an episode we will be doing in the future. Is Pokemon or artists whose reputation was harmed by doing a Pokemon song? Oh gosh, <laughs> surely not. <laughs> but yeah, I think that uh, I'm not getting anything from the chat here, so I think we'll just continue. But so they think we're perfect. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> somehow I, I'm not sure about that one. I live in hope. But in any case, we are totally open to doing another one of these in the future. Um, there are more other, some other ones out there. And, and certainly, like with Blessed Union of Souls, you never know. Maybe in, in the future, Al will get clearance to use Pokemon in his live shows. Uh, I did see him a couple years ago, and he doesn't use it there either, kind of unfortunately. But uh, we'll have to, have to see where things go from there. Um, don't have any particular audience you'd like to share, but like I said, if you do have any comments... Go ahead, type those either into the chat or into the comments if you're watching this on, on replay. And we'll try and work those into a future episode. But our next episode, uh, we're going to be cramming these pretty close together. So at least this one ended up being a little bit shorter. Um, but the next episode, as you might guess, uh, next weekend, Detective Pikachu releases in U.S. theaters. And so in two weeks, our plan is to do a discussion of the music of that movie, uh, both the Rita Ora slash Kygo song is also the song that's being produced, uh, Electricity being produced by Pharrell Williams, and um, the score to talk about. And, you know, we'll talk probably about some of the songs using the promotional things like the trailers and stuff like that. But um, very much looking forward to that. Uh, regardless of how uh, my overall impression of the music, I think we're going to have a pretty interesting discussion. This is the first really big one for the English side in a long time. Um, so very much looking forward to that. Uh, and I, I assume we have similar sentiments. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm intrigued. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure there will be things, things to talk about. But uh, until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter.